The FT. The plight of Asia's Rohingya Muslims has been revealed in gruesome detail in recent weeks, with haunting images of desperate people stranded on the Indian Ocean, denied safe harbour on the dangerous journey from Myanmar and Bangladesh to neighbouring states. I'm Fiona Simon, and I spoke to Michael Peel, FT correspondent in Bangkok, about what caused the crisis. Michael, what's the origin of the Rohingya Muslims? How big is their community, and why are they so desperate to leave Myanmar or Burma, as the country is otherwise known? The Rohingya are a scattered people in South and Southeast Asia. The main populations of them are uh, more than a million estimated to be in Myanmar, and then more than two hundred thousand in Bangladesh, with thousands of others distributed around the region. Of the Rohingya in Myanmar, who are the main population, some of them trace their roots back centuries in the country. Others arrived more recently when Bangladesh, to the west, was part of the same British Empire. That also occupied what is now Myanmar, and then others still have come in the last decades uh, since uh, Myanmar's independence from Britain in 1948. They're desperate to leave Myanmar and, and, and indeed Bangladesh. Some of them because they're not uh, wanted in either country. In Bangladesh, they're seen as outsiders and told to go back to Myanmar. But in Myanmar, they are routinely denied citizenship and many other rights. How has their situation deteriorated in recent years? The situation has got worse in the last few years, and a good example of this is the fact that earlier this year, the so-called white cards, which were identification cards which carried voting uh, rights among other rights, were scrapped by the government. So, um, effectively, on the face of it, that would seem to disenfranchise them. And this was a big reversal, particularly because the USDP, which is the ruling party in, in Myanmar's government, had actually courted Rohingya voters in an election. A few years ago, so they've gone from trying to milk these people for votes to denying them the right to vote. They find it difficult to get work. They have curbs on their freedoms of movement, and there are new laws being passed or proposed at the moment, including one which is widely seen as, as aimed at the Rohingya on so-called birth spacing, which gives the state the power to say to uh, women that they can't have children any more frequently than one every three years, and this is seen as playing into nationalist propaganda in Myanmar that the Rohingya are this invasive. Force of these fast-breeding Muslim outsiders. What's been the position of Myanmar's opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi towards their plight? The position of. Uh Aung San Suu Kyi, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, has been much criticised by her supporters in the West, who've admired her for what they see as as being a sort of a figurehead in, in favour of, of human rights. She. Hasn't come out and condemned the treatment of the Rohingya in the same way that some of her fellow Nobel Peace Prize winners, such as Archbishop Desmond Tutu, have. Instead, after a period of silence, the ruling committee of her National League for Democracy, a committee that she chairs, issued a statement in which they called for, among other things, the question of citizenship to be addressed fairly and for everything to be done, showing respect for human rights. 
and also for economic development to be put in place where it was needed. Her supporters say, well, you know, this is actually pretty strong stuff in a climate of aggressive nationalism in Myanmar politics. But her critics see this as as weak, mealy-mouthed even, and they note that in the statement she didn't even mention the name of the Rohingya, which is a a taboo in, in Myanmar politics where there's a virulent strain of Buddhist nationalism and militant Buddhists have been involved in stoking violence, which has led to hundreds of deaths and driven more than 100,000 Rohingya into these squalid refugee camps. And no Myanmar politician, including Aung San Suu Kyi, wants to offend that constituency. What happens to the Rohingya when they try to leave? When the Rohingya try to leave Myanmar or Bangladesh, they typically will be taken on uh, smuggling boats. The smugglers will uh, have brokers who go around communities and they will try to tempt people to come with promises of a, a new life. But there's also some evidence that people are trafficked, are, uh, are kidnapped and, and put on these boats. And then when they reach the other side, until some of these smuggling gangs were disrupted in the last few months, they were offloaded, uh, many people, into a horrific network of camps run by the smugglers on either side of the Thai-Malaysia border. And um, these camps were effectively prisons where people were held to ransom, typically maybe over two or three thousand dollars. Their relatives were called and told they wouldn't be released until that money was paid. There's lots of evidence of ill treatment there and of people dying there and graves have been found. No body count has so far been issued, a full body count by either Thailand or Malaysia, but uh, dozens of bodies of, of human remains have, have been found in, in Thailand and Malaysia said that it had found uh, almost 140 graves, of which some had multiple bodies. And what role has Thailand played in the crisis? Thailand, like Malaysia and Indonesia, has said that it doesn't want to take these people. Malaysia and Indonesia have relaxed their position slightly and said those people at sea at the moment, they will take in as long as the international community agrees to resettle them within a year. In response to criticism of its position, Thailand uses arguments that one hears quite commonly in European countries from some people, and there are a lot of parallels between this Southeast Asian migrant crisis and the European crisis in the Med. You hear people in Thailand saying, well, we've taken many refugees over the years, we've been very generous, there are more than 100,000 refugees in, in Thailand, mainly clustered around the Myanmar border where people fled from Myanmar during the military dictatorship and and civil conflicts there. And there's also in Thailand, again, as in Europe, an aggressive nationalist strand in some of the commentary that's been a lot of uh, nasty stuff on social media, similar to the kind of things that have been seen in Myanmar. Thailand is for Thais and, and that kind of thing that, again, will be very familiar to many Europeans. Now that the world's attention has focused briefly on their plight, will anything be done to end their suffering? Although obviously the attention that's been focused on the Rohingya has been good in that it has helped to mobilise people to save some lives of those at sea and it has disrupted some of these smuggling networks, it's an altogether different matter to say with confidence that something will be done about this long term. There are many problems. One is the willingness of countries to accept these people. We've seen that they're not willing to do so. Another is that these smuggling networks are full of vested interests, including officials. People arrested in Thailand include a three-star general in the Thai military, and whether there'll ever be a full reckoning or accounting has to be unlikely on past evidence. 
But the biggest problem, of course, the Rohingya is in Myanmar. And as long as they are persecuted as they are there, it's really very hard to see their situation getting any better or people feeling like they want to stay in the country rather than leave. And this could get more intense in the next few months because Myanmar has landmark elections in October or November, which are supposed to mark the transition from almost half a century of military dictatorship or to cement that transition. So more and more, the tenor of of debate is very nationalist, is very militant, and no politician seems to be willing to speak out against that because apart from anything else, it's probably going to be a vote loser in the current climate. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.